All right, because three is a crowd. I'm here today once again, as always, in the blockhouse with Kelly. Episode 68. How's it going, Kelly? I'm good. How are you? Good. We're recording this on a on a lazy Sunday. I was going to say I'm cold, but then I'm like, I'm going to start every episode for the next like six months with I'm cold. Yes, the blockhouse. Lots of uh, lots of empty spaces in the blockhouse for all the chill to come in. But we're going to push through it. You know, it's better than being in a bunker. I think. Yeah. Uh, a lot more freedom here in the blockhouse than we had in the bunker. Sure. This is a Bob Dylan podcast, Kelly. We meet every single week. We listen to a Bob Dylan song and then we talk about it. And that's what we're going to do today. I've been listening to Bob Dylan for most of my life. Kelly has heard roughly the same number of songs as the restaurant industry code, meaning put back on the menu. And this week, we're listening to Went to See the Gypsy off of 1970's New Morning. I went to see the gypsy Staying in a big hotel Smiled when he saw me coming And he said, well, well, well His room was dark and crowded all right, Kelly, so we spent this entire week listening to, as I said before, Went to See the Gypsy uh, from 1970's New Morning. Uh, it was also recorded a little bit previously, I mean, in 1970 still, but it could have come out on his self-portrait album as well. He recorded it around the same time as that. How did you feel with this song? We only listened to this and the Bootleg Series Volume 10 uh, version, uh, which is his first demo version of the song. How did you feel this week, especially coming off the highs that we've had for the the past couple weeks uh it's boring it, it's fine it's i mean it it has enough um live elements to it like it definitely has people recording it playing it live yeah. i mean not that that isn't the case for the majority of bob dylan songs but um there's a lot of errors in the song I think a lot there's a few and it's the, the drums but uh <laughs> it, that's fun i like that because it makes it interesting it's mm-hmm. like even when the song is boring you can be like oh well th- that dude fucked up that's neat like it's a yeah. Now everything is so remixed and remastered. and you know, Oh, we listened to Bob Dylan in that sort of hellscape when he was doing Empire Burlesque. I mean, yeah. <laughs> right. yeah. There's such a contrast between the two. Mm-hmm. Like, I think even bands today wouldn't allow their fuck-ups to be part of yeah. the song, you know? Exactly. Even if there's not the remixing this, they'll just re-record right. again and again until it's, like, foundationally perfect, which is fine, but... Yeah, it really takes out the live feeling of it. it which does. is why live records are so interesting too, because mm-hmm. you get a lot of that. Yeah. Like little secrets stuff like, ooh, they didn't well, they did this a little different there. You know? Totally. So even though the song's not super interesting or, or stands out, like I probably won't ever listen to it again, but not because it's awful, just like I wouldn't think of this song. Mm-hmm. That's it's fair. forgettable. It's That's, a forgettable song. There we go. That's it's a good forgettable. one. Yeah, it's uh it's it's weird. It's definitely a song that I uh sort of naturally find myself skipping over when I listen to it. Uh it doesn't really fit my own new morning listen when i want to do something like that and it's funny that you would say something about live because this could be a fun song to play live he's never played it live Mm. ever so this is one of those uh that bob dylan has a lot of that he's never even touched once so he just kind of put this down and did it it was first recorded in studio b in 1970 march 3rd to be exact and that's the take we get from uh the bootleg series volume 10 which you can find on our playlist uh that we'll talk about a little bit from now uh, and then he recorded it uh, not only March 3rd, but also five times on March 4th, one more time on March 5th. Uh, and these are for the, the self-portrait sessions. This was never going to go on self-portrait because self-portrait is all covers, basically. So he was definitely working on something 
for whatever the next project was. And that next project was going to be New Morning. In between those, the March, um, he rec- he recorded the version that uh, shows up on New Morning on June 6th, 1970. So in between that March to June, uh, he did go to the studio one more time with George Harrison uh, on May 1st into May 2nd of 1970. We do have that bootleg and eventually we'll, we'll listen to it. Uh, they probably played the song for all I know. Uh, Charlie Daniels is there on bass. Ru- Russ Kunkel is there on the drums, which we'll talk about the drums apparently in a moment. Um, but this was something we haven't really talked about a lot too, is that Bob Dylan sort of quote unquote came back in 1969 uh, for a show at the Isle of Wight in, you know, outside of England or whatever. And tons of people came, including the Beatles. And so that's where, you know, the Beatles were still a band, you know, for another right. year at this point. And so, you know, I guess that's probably where they hooked up and the Beatles uh, apparently just hung out with Dylan at the Isle of Wight afterward. And uh, and then that was where George Harrison and then obviously that friendship with George Harrison would later create the Traveling Wilburys. So there you go. So that's how it all kind of starts. I went down to the lobby To make a small call out A pretty dancing girl was there and she began to shout Go on back to see let's talk about the songs kelly so what song which version did you prefer more than the other we just listened to the two but even all the other ones are pretty much like these i don't know i think they're equally fine (laughs) i didn't really have a preference i guess if i i guess i would say the new morning one okay so now we go for the demo yeah i just really like the like the bouncing piano and the bass at the very beginning on the piano oh yeah and um the song ramps up just to fade out, which is really funny. Uh, I do. I do love that a yeah. lot. I think that's actually these these two endings are two of my favorites because we've talked about it before. But name me another Bob Dylan song that just fades out like that. I mean, we have like mm-hmm. harmonica solos is one thing, but to like get like a cool like guitar lick. What yeah. the fuck? That does not happen because it's usually centered around Dylan and Dylan's lyrics. And he like the song is very much that. So I just find it fascinating again to listen to just great solos yeah. on both of them in fact so and there's throughout um the new morning version there's a really great interplay between the piano and the organ they have a kind of like a call and response Al thing cooper on the organ yeah, as always yeah. um especially listening to it because it's like a stereo recording so the piano is in your left and then the uh, organs mm. in the right. right so like you can really hear them trade off and it's oh, that's really cool yeah um but yeah the drums <laughs> So I don't know what was happening, but, uh, or if you even noticed, so like the drums are doing a pretty consistent pattern the whole time. The beat doesn't really change. Um, but during the first verse, I guess, if you will, um, they're doing just like a a same, like whatever little pattern. Mm -hmm. And then suddenly he just stops. Like, uh, when, when Bob sings, I said it back to him, Mm. um, (laughs) Everything stops except for he just keeps hitting the hi hat, <laughs> like the close hi hat. It goes from like do do to just. How are you? He said to me. I said it back to him. I went down to the lobby. Well, we had another song like that on John Wesley Harding where the drums just stopped. They just Yeah, but not in that way because like, he's still just okay. hitting the hi-hat. So he's still at the kick. Well, you what can... I think is what happened, like he didn't know there was another line coming. So he was like about to go into a fill or something and mm-hmm. they was like, oh, sh- shit. Okay, I'll just 
going to do this. I'll, I'll find it. I'll find it. And then he gets back in and he starts playing the same pattern again. Okay. That's fine. He doesn't go into fill. And then later in the song, <laughs> a similar, well, the, the, later in the song, it's more egregious. He just fucks up. Like he either forgot what he was doing or he was going to go do a fill. But either way, he just like stops playing completely for a measure and then comes back into the song right where um, Bob says, oh, uh, bring you through the mirror. Bring you through the mirror. like but nope but what happened like he like it almost sounds like he drops his sticks it's like but, but, oh. and then he comes back on the song so, i'll find it i'll find it i'll find yeah, it I'll find yeah, it. exactly so i mean hey look i don't know how to play the drum so no shit on that dude but it just really it's a cool thing to listen to because yeah. i don't know it just makes the song more interesting a song that's forgettable it's like oh that's the song where that drummer was like i don't know i, don't know. I have no I, idea I what's going on <laughs> <laughs> and i mean he recorded he he Nine times, nine takes. Is that what you're Over multiple times. I mean, that June sixth take though is is later mm-hmm. in a different spot. So like he was testing out the song earlier because like Charlie McCoy who played on John Wesley Harding, he played bass for those sessions in March. But they're totally scrapped. They're not even part of anything. And even on the Bootleg series version, we don't have anything but guitar really. So yeah. it's just so like all that work that Charlie put in gone. And I'm sure that happened for a couple of other songs that he was trying out during that time. So no, this one's more of a like full band. And Yeah, well I just, just from listening to other stuff and the other bootleg versions it sounds like Bob just kind of does whatever he wants mm-hmm. So maybe he even changed the cadence of what he was doing and the drummer wasn't like prepared for it or maybe he even added a line, who knows and he was like, oh shit. But either way Yeah, it's, it's hard fine. to it's hard to tell with those because surely Bob Dylan wasn't like no, just hit the hi hat right here for a minute. <laughs> yeah, Surely, yeah, oh no, no, no sure, just yeah. just stop mid beat. That was just, not planned. <laughs> yeah, that, although maybe. Uh, and then the uh, the another side, another self portrait, right? Yes, version uh, was ten. Uh, it was fine. Yeah, the guitar is really nice, and I, I do like it's got like a Spanish guitar at the end, like just like, yeah. And that's Dylan like, on just acoustic rhythm, and then it's David Bromberg on the sort of doing the the flares, the mm. eccentricities, if you will. Kind of like a Desolation Row. You've got just Dylan playing. Totally, and you've got yeah. the guitar Same going vibe. in the background. Which I, I fucking love. Yeah. Oh, the lights were on the river Shining from outside I contemplated every move Or at least I tried I went back to see the gypsy well, it makes it, the song a lot more somber, yeah. which I think is maybe why I didn't like it, because I didn't necessarily read the... I mean, I guess the song, lyrically, is... Yeah, what what happens? I mean, I think this is like... This was the thing that I kind of didn't know what we would talk about this week, mm-hmm. but I've got I've got enough here. Okay. So what do you... what? First of all, like, what happens in the song, and what do you think is the point of this song? I mean... Not a lot, like the song in general. It's really short, so that's also a great thing about it. <laughs> Two minutes forty nine seconds can't. No be chorus that. though. No, no chorus. Harmonica. Which I do love a chorus, but it, it's mercifully short. Harmonica would have been perfect too. Get that like that. ramping up guitar and then blowing. Yeah. Mm. Oh yeah, for sure. You could have. Yeah, you could have added just like twenty more instruments at the end. Just yes. a huge cacophony, and then ends. That'd be amazing. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't know if there's supposed to be something deeper. It sounds like a guy who's kind of sad. Uh, mm-hmm. Is looking for some guidance. There's this person that everybody seems to know around the town. That's like a traveler who's from Vegas. Who's like, I don't know if he's supposed to be some kind of mystic type or if he's just like a therapist. Okay. <laughs> and Bob's like, I'm sad. I should go talk to him. 
And clearly they know each other because they have a familiarity. Okay. Like, at least it seems as much. Like, mm-hmm. said, how are you doing? No, not that that's not like a common greeting, but right. just the way that it's written. Well, there's two like. different versions of that, which I found interesting. Because in the official version, uh, well, actually, we'll start with the bootleg. The bootleg version, uh, he goes, he smiled when he saw me coming and he wished me well. So it's very familiar, you know, yeah. sort of like I know who you are. But the other one I think is more, um, like more of, you kind of, you think more about the relationship between, yeah, the, the gypsy, the mystic, if you will, and whoever the narrator is, because the line is, he smiled at me when he saw he com- when he saw me coming and he said, well, 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 as if, you know, you see your friend yeah. for the first time in a long time. Well, 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 you showed your face here or something yeah. like that. So it's like an interesting, what is the dynamic between them? Because it is like, is it somebody seeing someone they've known in the past? Mm-hmm. Or is it like this person is this weird uh, mystical presence and they just know, I knew you would come. Like somebody turns around in a dark room and, yeah. you know, ah, of course it's you. Exactly. Um, well, so well, I don't know. Well. And then, I mean, all it does is just kind of repeat that refrain of, and then he goes to make a phone call and the woman's like, maybe you should go talk to that guy again because you still seem pretty sad, if I must say. Yeah. And then. And that's it. Well, there's a little bit more. He he looks out on the river. Oh, right, right, right. Never forget the the river. River of Tears or something. Well, and that's the difference too. The Boulet version. Oh, the lights were on the river shining from outside. I contemplated every move, or at least I had tried. I think the official version's way better. Outside, the lights were shining on the river of tears. I watched them from a distance with the music in my ears. Yeah. A lot more evocative. A lot more uh, out there. But yeah, I mean, the river of tears. Come on. Anybody, anybody but Bob Dylan writing that is like melodramatic. What is so. that supposed to mean? I mean well, he's a sad boy. Oh, yeah. Right, so, right. But there's not like an actual river of tears. No, I don't. I mean, maybe though. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. It sounds like some terrible shit we would have done in the Native American. So I'm not, I wouldn't be surprised. Oh, a trail, if a trail of tears. I know sure. there's a trail. There could be a river. There could be a river. Yeah. But no. So then Bob contemplates it. But then he does go back. Well, we say Bob, the narrator. Right. Uh, then he goes back. To try to find the gypsy again. He's gone. And they're gone. And the girl's gone. And then he's like, oh, thinking about Minnesota. Yeah, yeah, that's right. (laughs) (laughs) It just seems like a really weird waste of time, this song was. Like, like, I mean, (laughs) just like there's no, I don't know if he got anything out of it. I don't know if he grew at all. I don't know if he like. I think that's important. I think that's really good. Like, maybe the narrator's looking for answers Mm -hmm. and then. Oh, okay, yeah. No, I'm going to go talk to him. I'm going to figure it out. Right. This is like, because he had his reflection moment, the, the river of tears, like, mm-hmm. fuck, I got to go back in. And then he goes to find someone to fix him, and it's like, well, shit, that dude's down. Now you got to yeah. fix yourself, Bob. Yeah. Which you won't. So. <laughs> <laughs> and so this is, this. Uh, I think, before we get into who is the gypsy, I think it's important to note that, like, gypsy, not cool. Not a cool thing to say. We we did a an episode on our Buffy podcast. If the apocalypse comes, beat me. Episode thirteen surprise. Yeah, surprise. Yeah. The episode surprise where Kelly goes deep into the Roma and just because uh, that that obviously dealt with a lot of that on the show. But this is even earlier. But you know, Gypsy itself is very much a trope in in rock music. I mean, there's tons of songs that still uh, say it. It's one of those things that like almost has no meaning, and it's interesting that it's a guy here because I think, at least for me, if you were to say a song is about a gypsy, I would immediately think of a woman because it's not so much anything to do with Roma people or anything. It's more of just a free spirit, blah, blah, blah. It's like mm-hmm. it's a caricature that doesn't apply to anybody, but we just always call them gypsies, you know, and that's how slurs and mm-hmm. you know bigotry starts is it it's a stereotype that gets passed along. Yeah. And so I think it's 
when people say gypsy, there's it almost means nothing, uh, usually coming from, especially like rock bands. I don't think they're thinking, they're obviously not making any sort of political statement with it. They're just like, oh, everybody calls this free spirit a gypsy. You know, you're not even thinking about what that language even means. Right. So I, so I find it interesting that it's a guy even in this, um, because I don't think I would have ever made it a guy if i if you're like write me a song about a gypsy like whatever that means i would probably i would think it would be about a girl i don't know that's probably just me and you know i don't know well i mean in tattoo culture there's like a an american uh oh my god what's the name it's called american traditional tattoo that's the face of a a roman woman with like a bandana and earrings and like that's yeah part of the imagery too but yeah uh it's definitely a derogatory term um it's unfortunate just like in the way that any small uh group like any small minority, any small ethnic or religious group. Um, I mean, even Native Americans, fuck. Like, there's a whole team named a pejorative, and, like, we just let that roll because there's so few of them, right? And when there's too few of the people to fight back, to have their voices heard, we just do whatever we want. But we also fetishize them. That's the thing, too. Same same thing with Native Americans. We, Instead of seeing them as fucking people, human beings... Uh, we we make them mystical. We make mm-hmm. them become our guidance, our teachers, our mystics. Because of course, there's some mystical whatever with them, but it's not true. They're just human beings like the rest of us. And they have their beliefs. They have all that kind of stuff. But I think we go out of our way, especially with Roma culture and Native Americans in, in this country. And it's been that way for hundreds of years, where you want to encase them in glass and have them be this sort of metaphor you can always go back to, but in the end, they're just human beings. And until you treat them like human beings, they're just going to be a fetish, for lack of a better word, you know? Well, it just, yeah, I mean, all that just leads to the dehumanization of those people, right? And so that word, gypsy, is a way to to keep it down. And just briefly, because I'm not going to, again, you can go listen to another podcast. surprise, yes, yes. But in case you don't know, uh, the Roma people, or Romani, come from originally about 1,500 years ago, um, northern India. And they're really disparate people. They left India to mainly go into Europe because that's the closest. Uh, and I've just faced, you know, over a thousand years of persecution and enslavement. Um, in fact, the Romani people were enslaved in uh, Romania until 1886, I believe, which is, it's crazy. They, they, there are two million of them died during the Holocaust before they started rounding up Jewish people. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just like, there's been a... a Long, long. I mean, not so much here in America, where there's about roughly 800,000 to a million uh, Roma people living in America today. Um, And they exist on every continent. Like, Roma people are everywhere. Um, But in Europe, there's been a 1,000, 1,500 years Mm -hmm. of just degradation and looking down as other, as lesser. And um, even as recent as there was a a very famous thing that happened in the UK about 50 years ago, a Roma... Um, family was pulled over on the side of a road. Um, it, the husband came out of the car because he was pulled over by the cop. And his wife was giving birth in the caravan. Uh, the cops tipped the caravan over. The caravan caught fire. They both died inside. It's just like, and that's all because of this stigma against these people. They're um, and because they've been kept out of places, they have or tend to be less educated, which leads to them getting not getting any jobs. And yeah. I don't know, they, like they're traditionally great craftspeople, metal workers, artisans. Like a lot of uh, Spanish flamenco music was influenced by their traditional music. Mm-hmm. Like they have had such an impact on our culture at large that we don't recognize. Um, there's only about 12 million, 12 to 15 million Roma people left. Mm-hmm. Um, so that puts them even smaller 
population-wise than uh, Jewish people, who are yeah. another huge diasporic group. I mean, you could have added them to the yeah. talking about Native Americans too. Like exactly. that's just part of. And it, it's a bummer. And like language changes. So if this is a, a word that you use often or frequently, maybe try to take it out of rotation. And like yeah. you know, we. It's not your fault if you don't know any better, but it's your fault if you know better and choose to do it anyway. Yeah. And um, I think that's why the context for surprise is a lot better uh, because because it is pretty galling in 1997 to be sort of still doing shit like that. Right. Uh, whereas this one does just use the term. There's really nothing else to do with it. It's just it's a word. And really words are, are, are what's powerful because that's that a coded word. Right. When you say gypsy, and for me, it's a woman who is you know has bangles and stuff like that like it's just a very specific image that you know you just know that 1970 person is conjuring in their head like a bohemian wanderer bohemian, type yeah. exactly that's, and that's you can use those words that's right absolutely absolutely <laughs> but it's not but it's much harder to do you know that's the whole thing and that's why language is powerful not only as a code but also at but you kind of give yourself away when you start dog whistling and saying things right. in a specific way. So just be smarter about what you say. That's really the takeaway Ooh, here. Anecdote that's probably unnecessary, but um, the fact that this is still a problem is alive and well today because, like I said, there are um, Romani are everywhere. There's almost a million in America. And uh, acquaintance is too strong of a word. This guy I know. <laughs> um, oh happens to work in a customer service field and a Roma family came in and he just kept saying gypsies like those fucking gypsies like oh it's like so you know you know it's wrong to say that and he, and he even said the most disgusting racist thing that people love to say which is if they wouldn't act like that I wouldn't call them that mm. I would call well, them Roma or Romani like they're supposed to be called but they're not they're fucking gypsies so well, that's what like, people say about oh like black Americans oh yeah well, absolutely you know, if they don't so, act like yep. that I don't have to call them yeah yeah so just like so oh, it's, it's a thing. horrible. It's oh yeah, absolutely a thing. <laughs> They're a completely oppressed group of people that nobody fucking talks about. Try to stop saying gypsy if you can help it, please. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. That's just it. Be nice to one another. Yeah. Kelly, what if I told you though that this gypsy and and it was interesting. You said mystic right away too. I mean, this mystic. Let's. Mm-hmm. I mean, let's just start saying that because it is kind of strange to just keep saying gypsy over and over yeah, and over and over again. But this character, this person who, let's just say it's Bob Dylan. <laughs> Uh, what if I told you that that character was Elvis? What? <laughs> Start thinking Vegas. back. Start thinking back. Yeah. So uh, Ron Cornelius, who played guitar for New Morning, uh, told Melody Maker in 1971 that Dylan told him, quote, it was about going to see Elvis in Las Vegas. Oh, man. Which now, think back of what you said, though. It makes a lot of sense. It's seeing somebody that you identify with. You see something in them. Mm-hmm. You know one another. Bob Dylan covered obviously a ton of Elvis. Oh, he did. Uh, and his, oh, yeah. I, I mean, know. loved Elvis. And Self Portrait, there's a couple of cuts from there. And our boy Elvis also cut a couple of Bob Dylan songs as well. I had he no did Blowing idea. in the Wind. He did uh, I Shall Be Released, was his last one that he did. Uh, I think Tomorrow is a Long Time Gone. Uh, I think that's the only one I can remember oh, right no off the shit. top of my I head. Shall Be Released. That's why I thought it wasn't his song. That's why I thought it wasn't a Bob Dylan song. I was like, I'm pretty sure I've heard somebody do this. That was not him. <laughs> well, there's a lot of people that do that. And the uh, that connection goes deep. I mean, Bob uh, obviously knows who Elvis is. He's he's used him, again, as shorthand a lot of times. Like when he almost died in 1997, he said, famously, he said, I, I thought I was going to meet Elvis. I mean, that was, that's God in a way. Like, huh. I thought I was going to go meet God. No, I thought I was going to go meet Elvis. Um, and yeah, we have a, we have a, we don't know a whole lot about what Elvis thought of Bob Dylan. 
uh, before I get deeper into the song, I'm just going to kind of address Bob and Elvis because they did not really cross paths. But Elvis kind of took a cultural nosedive in the 60s. He was obviously in the 50s, the king of rock and roll, if you will. And then everything changed thanks to that man right there, Bob Dylan. Because of that change, it wasn't preordained that Elvis was going to come back. But he did release a couple of albums at the end of uh, the 1960s, and he had this residency before we kind of make fun of people who do residencies now in Vegas as being like washed up or whatever. And he certainly was, but he turned it into something apparently like critically you know, cool. He was doing a lot of cool stuff. People were really back into it for the first time. And um, one of the last Dylan tracks that he recorded was I Shall Be Released. I see my light, I see my light come shining From the west down to the east Any day now, any day now I shall be released I see my light come shining from the west down to the east Any day now, any day now I shall be released Dylan. He did, however, during his residency in 1969 and 1970, he did a four-week residency, I believe, or four... Four months? Four weeks? A four-week residency. He did say, uh, what did he say? He said, to the audience, he said, my mouth is so dry, it feels like Bob Dylan spent the night in it. <laughs> Which is, like, gross, but also an incredible way to, like, this is what my voice sounds like. And also like. homoerotic. A little bit. A little bit. And so apparently, again, apparently, Bob Dylan went to go see him in 1970. He was looking around to try to move his family, and they were going through Arizona and Nevada and, and whatever, and apparently made it into one of the shows and met Elvis. Hmm. And so that's where this comes from. Michael Gray from the Bob Dylan Encyclopedia doesn't think so. Quote, in June of 1972, Bob Dylan was spotted attending one of Presley's four concerts at Madison Square Garden, New York City. This is again after 1972. So this is after it's even come out. The idea suggested by Went to See the Gypsy that Dylan might have met Presley in Minnesota a, when they were both famous, B, after Presley Las Vegas in, and C, ahead of the new morning songs being recorded, is impossible, though they might have met elsewhere. That Dylan might have seen Presley in concert in Minnesota is another matter. Presley first performed in Minnesota in St. Paul in 1956, and then 15 years later, on November 5th, 1971. So he was never there during a time that Bob Dylan was Bob Dylan. In 2009, Bob Dylan clarified, guess what he said? Quote, I never met Elvis because <laughs> I didn't want to meet Elvis. Right. I know the Beatles went to see him and he just played with their heads. <laughs> and he continued on, quote, Elvis was truly some sort of American king. Two or three times we were up in Hollywood and he had sent some of his Memphis mafia down to where we were to bring us up to see Elvis. But none of us went. I don't know if I would have wanted to see Elvis like that. I wanted to see the powerful, mystical Elvis that had crash-landed from a burning star onto American soil. Hmm. Interesting. And I think a lot of people will probably say the same about Bob Dylan. You know, you, you want to see him as that crazed 60s, like, genius. And maybe not as the old guy <laughs> on AARP magazine covers. Um, so I think that's that's really 
Very interesting. And the name checking of the little Minnesota town. This is also one of the first instances where Bob even owns up to his Minnesota upbringing. Uh, we get a lot of that in, in Planet Waves on episode five. We talk right. a lot about Hibbing and kind of like the whole album is sort of a flip flop between today's life and then like thinking about Hazel and all the people in the past. Uh, so it's pretty interesting that this is one of those early ones where Bob is really thinking about it because he still didn't name check Hibbing like he does on Planet Waves. But it's like if you know enough, then it's like, oh, that's really cool. I never saw it the way that Michael Gray is putting it in that like he he's sort of taking the song at face value. I just see it as like he is – I guess they never say in Las Vegas. He says Las Vegas – only tangentially i always just saw them in las vegas so when he's yeah. thinking about minnesota i see it as him thinking about the past but gray's sort of reading it as if he's in minnesota like in the moment gotcha. and he's almost thinking about this encounter with the gypsy from the past so i don't it's a very interesting take how I mean, do you see it do, do you see them in a certain place thinking about a past or a future or i guess i, I just like because it says hotel i just imagine them in a hotel somewhere not in Minnesota or Las Vegas because they're referencing a past event in Las Vegas. And then Minnesota is also separate. The, yeah, it seems separate. But I guess it could be, you could take it that he's in Minnesota at the time. He's running into Elvis or whomever this character is yeah. in Minnesota and the, whomever, like the, the checkout girl or whatever her name is, yeah. uh, is like, hey, he was just in Las Vegas and he's going to put a show on here and hibbing at yeah. all places. Well, it's, so, I think uh, it's also just, uh, um, it's a dream. I mean, it's like a dream. It's almost waking up from a dream in Minnesota and you're like, oh, wow, weird. I went to go see yeah. Elvis, and but I didn't really see Elvis. Yeah. So it's less of dreaming about a Minnesota childhood and more of being in the Minnesota of your childhood, if you will, and yeah. you're dreaming about meeting your hero. I mean, I think Bob is wise to maybe not ever meet the man, but maybe they did. Again, this could be an incredible long con. Don't take Bob Dylan at his word. The mother has probably seen and met Elvis mm-hmm. because Clint Highland believes that he did, believes that in 1970 he, he did pop in to go see the show. There's almost no reason why he wouldn't. Yeah. Uh, and the Michael Gray says that's not possible at all. So I, I don't know if we just don't have a full understanding of every movement that Bob Dylan has made, which is probably true, but it is kind of interesting that it's still vague and mysterious and, I think it's interesting that the Beatles um, would have been really pumped and make everybody know that they met Elvis, whereas Bob Dylan, you know, didn't. It's so weird. I don't ever think about them existing contemporarily, but they absolutely did. They definitely, definitely did. And I think Elvis is something we probably will at some point have to dive into as well, because I don't know nearly enough about Elvis. It's the only modern sort of rock music that my that my grandma and my grandpa listen to. Like mm-hmm. They can't stand anything that I listen to. They don't like Bob Dylan even. Uh, I know that from playing that in their house, but they have Elvis all sh- shit all over the place. Oh, so, my mom loves Elvis and also does not like Bob Dylan. Well, that's fair. Okay. <laughs> so, so it just must be a thing, yeah. I suppose. Uh, Clinton Halen uh, puts it really, really nicely when he says, quote, long before a posthumous cult grew up around the man, Dylan imbues this gypsy, quote unquote, with mystical power, specifically the ability to, quote, drive you from your fear and bring you through the mirror. Afraid that he might never be able to do consciously what he used to do unconsciously, he perhaps feared a future Vegas act, playing the old hits to baby boomers with corporate credit cards. The result in this first song to address the creative drought that had now begun in earnest. Like, that is a cautionary tale. Like, what happened there? It's also an interesting take to be like, those things that came naturally to you in the 60s as if just music was coming out of him and he wasn't really thinking about it. It was just like, why are you writing like you're running out of time thing? Yes. Uh, And then to be like, well, 
this is him trying. This is him like, I'm a musician. I'm going to write a song now. I'm writing it. Yeah. Feel that's that's a weird, interesting way to look at it. And that is the you read any biography, anything about Dylan, this period is fraught with that. Yeah. That's that being scared of not being able to For consciously worse, do yeah. what he was doing unconsciously. Because even with like John Wesley Harding after the the accident and after you know during the time of the basement tapes, he was still just writing long form poetry, if you will, mm. and then putting it to this to this music. And slowly, as we get to like Nashville Skyline, which is one of the only albums so far, sixty eight episodes in. We haven't heard a single thing from Nashville Skyline. Um, it's a very honky tonk. It's like a 28 minute album. You know, it's, all the songs are two minutes long. Hmm. Um, and I think that's also like people love it. And I, I definitely love it. I think it's a really unique side of Bob Dylan, but it's not doing the, the heavy lifting of Blonde on Blonde and like a Rolling Stone. Like it is just kind of a fun pop record. And I think Bob wanted to be more than that. He didn't want to, he didn't want to be, you know, a Vegas act playing like a Rolling Stone forever, even though you Maybe he is at this point still. I don't know. Also, Bob, when they released the the Bootleg series uh, information, it's coming out in November. He also released uh, tour dates. Not coming to the Pacific Northwest. What? The closest he's coming is fucking Arizona. What? What is wrong with you, Bob? We love you. What the heck? Up here. So whenever he comes, we're definitely going to go. We're definitely going to talk about the show. Are we going to go to Arizona? No, we're definitely not going to fucking but Arizona. But if he's not coming out here. No, come around. <laughs> Okay. We have to keep believing that he'll come back. Has he been here since we've been here? Yeah, he came in like 2013, 14. Oh. Yeah. It was only a few years ago. Didn't go. Weren't doing the podcast then. Sure. So. Also, you were probably in Europe. So he definitely tours Europe a lot. You could have gone. This is your fault. You could have already gone and seen him. No, I was in Europe. 20, and he's also played in Asia too. 2016 to 2017. Yeah. You anyway. could have you could have saw him. I know. And it's your fault. It is. So I watched that sun come rising from a little Minnesota town. From that little Minnesota town. I think it's I think it's a fun it's it's a nice story it's it's still um it's a weird story it's one that you don't get right away because there's a lot of a lot of little layerings and stuff the like that the Elvis thing is so fun the Elvis thing is really fun to think yeah. about it and apparently it is about that but did he meet him or not I mean that's yeah. I like that it's an Elvis dream I think that's really cool that makes me like the song more yeah and I think knowing Bob as we do episode seven was triplicate it makes sense that Bob has sort of leaned into the Elvis thing mm-hmm. I think reading Michael Gray he was he was saying the way that we think about Bob and Elvis now, it makes sense. Almost Bob Dylan is like the next Elvis, but that was not how people saw it back then. Right. Like Bob Dylan was antithetical to Elvis. Well, he's and it wasn't industry. A, he's the machine. Man. Right. And so it was only in time that you started to see that these layers were interconnected and things are a lot more complex than they are. So it's really interesting that even Bob, because Bob, like I understand not wanting to go see your heroes, but there is an anecdote in there with George Harrison as well, where I think they like stand up Elvis, like they were going to meet him. <laughs> and then, either chickened out or just like blew it off or got too high or whatever the hell they were doing. They just didn't go and see it. And I think, I think it's George who relates that story as like another, just a weird night. And like, imagine having like meeting Elvis on your calendar for that night. Right. Like it would just be a wild, well, or whatever happens, you know, you freak out and you're just like, I don't know if I can even do it. What am I going to do, man? Oh, just smoke this 
joint. Like, we'll be good. We'll do it. I don't know, man. I don't know, man. I'm fucking scared. I can't. I can't do it, man. What if What if he's not what I think he is? But what if he is everything you think he is? Right. Oh, my God, man. I can't cope with that. I can't cope with that. How do I do this? He's going to want to sing. What song am I going to do? Oh, my God. Just imagine, yeah. like, going through your head. Like, that's a good point. That'd yeah. be a lot. It would be amazing. I mean, and just imagine, that's what I would do if Bob Dylan came around and I was a musician. I'd be like, what would he want to, if he wanted to play with me, would he want to play? What would we play? Oh my God. What, what does he not want to play? He's played like a Rolling Stone a million times, so I can't do that. But I can't just be like. probably forgotten most of his songs though. So, right. like, <laughs> so I can't just say, I want to play, I went to see the Gypsy that you've never played live even right, once. Yeah. You know, I can't right. be the Grateful Dead because that's what they made him do. Play all these songs right. from his past that he didn't even remember the lyrics for. So I don't know. It's pretty, it's pretty fascinating. Okay. Yeah. And I'm sure for the Grateful Dead, it was a little bit like that, too. I mean, Bob was their hero, and I'm sure getting to play with him would probably be a trip. Yeah. But he was also younger. I don't know. It's a weird weird, uh, weird thing to think about, but hopefully we talk about Elvis more. Yeah. All right, Kelly, we spent a week listening to Went to See the Gypsy. We also did other stuff in that week. What did you do that you'd want to recommend for people out there? Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I got to see Jason Webley at the Alberta Rose Theater here in Portland, and... Uh, if you don't know who he is, he's like this kind of, he does like pirate music is the only way to describe it. He plays the accordion and he plays the guitar and for percussion, he literally jumps up and stomps and like, if you've ever seen a person play the accordion while in the air, <laughs> you should go see Jason Webley. And he's really like community focused as far as his, like his fans and, and like art and stuff. So he makes sure his shows are always 15 bucks or less. And uh, he's, he has a whole album um, with Amanda Palmer as Evelyn Evelyn um, so he's very, they're like besties and he lives in Seattle. Um, so he's oh. like, there's, I don't know. I feel like there's a vibe, the Pacific Northwest vibe that he definitely. Maybe Bob's like, Jason's on my turf. <laughs> yeah. I can't come. If Jason's in town, I can't come. Yeah. Uh, if you ever have a chance to see him, you definitely should. He's like one of the most electric performers I've ever seen. Just so much energy. This dude, he's just screaming at the top of his lungs. Like he's not even near a mic most of the time because he's so loud and stomping. It's great. That's amazing. Um, I finally re-listened to My Dad Wrote a Porno, so I did oh, that yeah. forever since season four started about right, a month right. or so ago. I was like, I'm going to go re-listen to everything I did, and now I'm finally caught back up and yeah. just as disgusted and delighted as always. If you've never listened to My Dad Wrote a Porno, it is one of the best podcasts Podcast, yeah. that exist. We it is the funniest, funniest, funniest thing I've ever listened to in my life. It's amazing. That and Taskmaster... And BoJack Horseman just came back too, right. so I've been watching that. It's on season five. So far, so good. I know this is one of those shows that's just consistently good. So these are all previous recommendations yeah. as well from this. Oh yeah, season, yeah, so. I know. But every time this season comes out, I'm like, I like the show again, guys. Let's no, not no, forget. I think it's wise. I mean, yeah. it's just good reminders. I mean, my dad wrote a porno. We've done both of those before, but we yeah. will do them again and again and again and again. And then our playlist this week is really whack. It's like the most eclectic, random shit. And has the most new people. Like, these are artists I've never heard of. And it was kind of just building off of, you know, the song title. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, which You there picked was... some insane songs. I liked it. I mean, I don't know. It was just, they're all so weird. It's like a spoken word piece and like all this different stuff. Yeah. Um, well, it's not spoken word. He's playing the guitar, but it's literally just like a story. The guy who's like screaming about going oh, to hit the movie. Around, yeah. Right? Mark Wynn. Yeah. yeah. Insane. Yeah. Um, but there's a woman on there, Chris O. Um, she's mm-hmm. like this bluegrass, bluegrass folk blues musician from australia okay um and she just got this really unique voice it's really deep and i cool. heard the accent i was like i don't know where that's from yeah that's oh, interesting um her album twisted roots and twisted highways that mm-hmm. the song is from came out or at least it was released on spotify this year so it's new um 
It's new to us. Yeah, new to us at least. And there's a song in there, Love This Land, that starts with the didgeridoo. And I always forget how weird that instrument is. Sounds like a fucking UFO taking off. It's yeah. very cool. Uh, it's not really my flavor. It's got a heavy lesbian vibe to it. So I feel like if you're like a fan of some indigo girl shit, mm. it's like bluegrass indigo girls almost. Nice. Um, but yeah, it's not, not super for me, but... I, I like that she's doing it. And she's def- she's like in her 40s or 50s. Like I, I just like that an older Australian woman's like, fuck it, I'm going to do folk and bluegrass. Yeah. Who cares? I don't know. It's, That's uh, amazing. So check check out Chris O if you're into that type of thing. Yeah, this is definitely the weirdest the weirdest playlist that we've had. Because mm-hmm. there was stuff to work with. I mean, even like just the word gypsy or went to and that's where a lot of the went to's right were kind of like well because there was a lady gaga song on there for a second just called gypsy and it's like i can't listen to this woman scream this word at me anymore well and also it just isn't good and yeah. that was you just you know we we make these playlists with a lot more songs and we try to discern it we try to make them into something and keep it around an hour try or two. to yeah. you know that kind of thing so uh welcome back to the playlist uh open mike eagle he's been oh, on yeah, before great. Uh, Jimi Hendrix before I'm pretty sure yeah I feel like we had to have. Yeah, I mean at least all along the watchtower fuck we've never done it all along the oh watchtower. but we did jealousy oh, we did the whole jealousy right. but I mean he will be on there inevitably obviously so welcome just always <laughs> the uh, present Jimmy Andrew Bird we've definitely done before uh, Sufjan Stevens nice little uh, <laughs> the short reprise for Mary Todd which is yeah. uh, brilliant from Illinois one of the greatest records of all time uh, definitely done Father John Misty at least once before I'm pretty positive it's a cool song uh, and I think that's it. Honestly, like that's oh, the rest the, is all newbies. The rest man. is all new. Welcome to the playlist, Mark Wynn. You'll probably uh, some of these will probably never make it back on. No. Uh, Lost Dog Street. Mm-hmm. Uh, George Armstrong. Uh, that was amazing. The simple gifts. The between the the guy and the girl. Oh right, yeah. yeah. That, was, that was an that was a, that's an old song. Yeah, but a really really good song. Chris O, of course. Um, Tiger's Jaw. Wolf Mother. Fleetwood Mac, I think it's their first time on here as well. Mm, I think Wolfmother's been on before it's And Wolfmother too. Yeah, yeah. Holy shit. All right. Well, welcome back, Wolfmother, <laughs> and possibly Fleetwood Mac. Those are the hard ones because yeah. I'm just like, I know that we put it on here. Yeah. But Fleetwood's probably another, like, you just kind of, you're always here. Right. Um, I think it's our first Lucero song. Uh, Benji Hughes, definitely our first one. Yeah. Uh, and then Snowing, uh, which is interesting that you put that on there because I like that band. Yeah. So I was like, this fun. is something that Daniel definitely listened to yeah, about it, 10 years ago. Oh, for sure. For sure. <laughs> so, uh, and that was really fun to hear. And I put it yeah. at the end because it kind of goes on. So anyways, I would recommend that playlist for, for sure, just as a curiosity more than yeah. anything else. Uh, and then for me, mine are pretty simple. Um, Body Prince Billy and Bill Callahan, two of my favorite artists, are on Spotify. So I'm like going back through and starting from the very beginning and working my way all the way through. So that's really fun. Bill Callahan's only got like four albums, but Bonnie, uh, Prince, Billy, gotcha. I would start there. He has a new album called Wolf of Cosmos, Wolf of the Cosmos, that I have not listened to yet. But I See a Darkness is his 1998, I believe, debut-ish debut. And it is haunting. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. It's awesome. So I highly recommend that. Well, I've been to a minor place And I can say I like its face If I am gone and with no trace I will be in my minor place well, And then a weird band that I got didn't really get into, but I, I found it interesting. I was reading the New York Times in the morning and uh, there was an article on the Maori language in New Zealand, sort of making a mm, comeback yeah. and people using it more. And they referenced a band called Alien Weaponry. Um, they have an album, a brand new album called Two, like T-U, like Spanish or whatever, but it's probably also Maori, Maori as well. And they sing half in English, half in Maori. Hmm. And um, and they're a fucking like thrash metal band. And I was cool. like, this is cool to just be in the New York Times. Um, but it's like it, old people are like learning Maori again and, you know, mm. are just kind of like... 
I want to know. And and like apparently a really conservative like radio show, talk show host or something uh, married um, a Maori woman and started to learn the language. And now he, his kids are being dual um, bilingually right. educated. And he does the weather and hellos and news reports in Maori on the radio, which cool. people get fucking livid about because they don't want him you know speak english right, right, right. and he's like fuck them so i'd recommend alien weaponry if you're into thrash and metal it's it's good it's not bad um and then of course i'm i just finished harry potter and the prisoner of azkaban <laughs> and uh you know harry potter's the best so definitely definitely recommend <laughs> that if you've never, never heard of a little book series called harry potter <laughs> a little book series called harry potter all right kelly this is the end of the show oh and if, the end of the podcast we're done we're definitely not done. So if you don't know, we at our website, sotwpod.com, you can go and check out our spreadsheet. You can see all of the songs that we have coming up that are potential. Kelly is going to pick randomly. We go to random.org, sponsor of the pod. <laughs> don't say that. Uh, hopeful. Hopeful sponsor. Hopeful sponsor <laughs> to the pod. And we, uh, we just randomly... Choose a song randomly from our remaining catalog of yeah. all of Bob Dylan's songs. True, true. Okay. So I deleted, I went to see The Gypsy. And it's not even I, it's just went to, mm-hmm. which is kind of also an interesting choice. We are down to 442 songs left. So if you're out there listening in the world, you can find our spreadsheet at sotwpod.com and you can see what songs are left. Uh, there's only 442 choices. That means 442 more episodes at the very least. Although we'd also do a lot of supplementals and mix up confusion. So if you're new to the podcast, this is the part where we pick a song. So Kelly, one out of 442. 133. Oh, 166. You're in the same ballpark, though. I feel like I'm getting better at this somehow, which how does that even happen? How does it? I mean, you got as close as you will ever get. I think if you ever got it, I would probably just start yelling. (laughs) All right, so 133, you said. Um, In in an alternate timeline, this would have been our first Nashville Skyline song. No kidding. (laughs) So tell me that it isn't true. 166. Okay, we're going back to another self-portrait. So actually, we're not leaving anywhere. This song was not actually released on any album. It was just released on Another Side, uh, Another Self Portrait, hmm. the series volume 10. And it's a song called Bring Me a Little Water. Oh, so, that's very exciting. <laughs> so, we're going to bring a little water to next week's podcast, <laughs> episode 69. Uh, nice. Okay. okay, well, next week, <laughs> next week, we're going to bring a little water. I think it's only apropos that we have water. While we do the podcast. Well, I mean, I usually do. Yeah. Um, okay, Kelly. I'm going to go get my water ready. <laughs> and uh, episode 69. Crazy. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> nice. Bye. Bye. Sylvie. Sylvie. What? Bring me a little water, Sylvie. Bring me a little water now. Bring me a little water, Sylvie. Every little once in a while. Bring me a little water, Sylvie. Bring me a little water now. I bring me a little water to me. Every little once in a while. Don't you see me coming? Don't you see me coming?